positively. Do you remember what it was like to graduate high school? I just attended a small town high school graduation and it brought back all kinds of memories. It's an exciting time of life. That moment of walking across the stage in front of family and friends, receiving your diploma and hearing the applause and cheers of those in the audience. It's a definition of a pivotal moment. It's a moment of transition too one that brings changes of massive proportions. For most, it's a feeling of freedom and relief that the toil and struggle of academics is over. For some, it's the entrance into further education through college or technical school or some kind of apprenticeship. But for other graduates, and I was one of these, it's a moment that magnifies a subtle sense of apprehension about the future. When you realize that childhood is officially behind you, and a very adult and unknown future lies ahead. I recall after my ceremony, after the congratulations were over and everyone had gone home, standing beside my car in the silence of that May evening, thinking, what am I going to do now? I had never felt that uncertain in my entire life. In that situation, it's not uncommon for someone in my shoes to jump at the first opportunity that comes along, simply for the sake of latching onto something that feels certain, even if it's something they know nothing about. You know, I was a smart kid, but I hated school. So I barely graduated, I'm not gonna lie. I think I had a D plus average uh, graduating from school. And afterwards I didn't go to, I think I did a couple classes at the local community college, but I was lost. I was like, what am I gonna do? I have no idea what to do. I did some sales jobs. I sold cars for a while. <laughs> I sold diet plans for a while and I had nothing. I really had nothing to hang on to. One day I saw an advertisement in the newspaper for a wildlife officer. And I'm like, oh, wildlife officer, that's cool. I'll be a park ranger. I can go hang out with the birds in Bambi all day, right? And uh, I applied and found out it was actually a law enforcement position and, you know, jumped all the hoops, got accepted and became a certified police officer in the state of Florida. But I was a game warden. Didn't really care for being a game warden. Went back home to Miami and applied with Miami-Dade Police Department, not wanting to, you know, waste the certification I just earned. And then I was a cop there for 18 and a half years. So the circumstances just led me there. It often turns out that once you've opted for that kind of security, you'll wind up sticking with the decision for the long haul, even if it's a decision that's not good for you. I just kind of knew then that it wasn't my passion in life. But, you know, you get to a point you're like, OK, yeah, it's secure. But at what point is it worth it? That is the voice of Darla Powell an 18-year veteran of the Miami-Dade Police Department in Miami, Florida. 
She's one of the many brave men and women who have chosen to put themselves in harm's way in service to the rest of us. Darla, thank you for that willingness. What does Darla's career as a police sergeant have to do with podcasting? Everything. Because it illustrates one of the things I love about indie podcasting. The idea that even if you feel stuck in life, you don't have to stay there. You can actually do something to make your situation and the lives of others better. Darla's podcaster story is one of those stories. I invite you to stick around to hear it. Way back in 2003-2004, an amazing new media technology was developed. It was audio content that could be directly delivered to anyone who subscribes to it. And they called it a podcast. Since that time, podcasting technology has improved and the number of shows have increased exponentially. In these special edition audio sessions of my show, Podcastification, I feature the stories of the people who have found success creating their own podcast, and I'm calling them Podcaster Stories. I'm a native Floridian, which there aren't too many of those. I'm a rare bird, but I grew up in Homestead, Florida, with my mom and my dad, who was an insurance sales person and a housewife, you know. And my mother had antique shops, and my grandmother had antique shops down here off and on, and we always used to hit the flea markets and, you know, the art shows. And that's what got me started, you know, having an interest in arts and interior design. So that's always been kind of there. And was what led me to my career now, mostly as an interior designer. But throughout the years, I've always been interested in decorating and design and have done that since I was a kid. But somewhere in the middle, I decided, hey, why not go into law enforcement? Let's be a cop. A path like the one Darla walked isn't that uncommon. The way she describes it is exactly the way it happens. We grow up curious and enthused, enjoying the things we're naturally curious about. But somewhere along that growing up path we all have to walk, increasing responsibilities and circumstances nudge us into looking at life more seriously, more practically, and less through the delighted and curious eyes of a child. You know, it's so funny because I used to decorate my room like every week. I would rearrange my furniture. I would hang paintings up. I would take paintings down. So I was kind of living it and doing that. But I had no idea that it was a, an avenue that one could do professionally. Like when I was going, you know, in elementary school, you know, when they ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was always, I want to be an oceanographer. Actual recording of sounds produced by a marine animal underwater. Don't ask me where that came from. <laughs> and, you know, in high school, the, the guidance counselors, you know, never said, hey, did you know you could do art or interior design? You know, there's people that get paid for this. So, you know, that might make a little more sense about, you know, after high school, why I, you know, the cops were hiring and I applied. It is a good thing to grow up. It's a good thing to take on increasing amounts of responsibility. It's how we mature and become a person of character that others can rely on. But it's tragic when we lose that sense of wonder and optimism and interest 
that we possess as children. And I'm not the first one to feel that way. In fact, it's believed that an American icon and founding father, one of the wittiest and most observant men of all time, had the same thoughts. Benjamin Franklin. Some people die at 25 and aren't buried until 75. Now, I don't know whether old Ben really said that or not, but whoever did say it, it's sadly spot on for many of us. Thankfully, in Darla's case, something happened that caused her to rethink the path that she had chosen for herself. I had a little midlife crisis at 47, 48 and said, you know, I always love design. I'm not really too big on the cop stuff. Never really have been. Great job, job security, but not my passion. Like many of us who have lived a normal life for a long time, Darla didn't necessarily believe it could even be possible to earn her living doing something she really loved. I asked her what she said to herself as her friends were encouraging her to step out on a limb and try a career in interior design. Um, oh, you know, this is something I do for fun. Oh, thank you so much. But no, I have a, a really good job, a really good career. I have benefits. I have health insurance. <laughs> you know, you're crazy. I'd be crazy to give this up. But when I started doing rooms for friends, it was probably around 2003, 2004. And over the course of the next 10 or so years, the climate with law enforcement really just went downhill quick. It was becoming way more dangerous to be a cop. You know, it's it, a thankless job was becoming an impossibly thankless job. We, you know, we were depressed all the time because everybody hated cops. It's, it's seemingly, you know, if you watch the news and again, combined with my midlife crisis, 47 and 48, so I started giving it some more thought. Like, well, you know, life is short. This isn't my passion and it's becoming more and more thankless. Is it worth just having a steady check coming in every two weeks? Then she got her first opportunity to actually get paid for doing interior design. I bought a house and um, I think in 2004 it was, it was a townhouse and it was a complete gut. And I lived there for a while and I ended up selling it. And the way I had it decorated when they came in to look at it, they were like, oh, you know, this looks so nice. Would you decorate our house after we buy it? So I'm like, sure, I'll do that for you. No problem. And I was, oh, I just got some traction here. Maybe that this could be something bigger. Bigger is right. Way bigger. Darla started experimenting, learning, reading, figuring out how to put out what she called a virtual shingle on Facebook. Because when I started doing the interior design business, I said, let me just put up a shingle, a virtual shingle on Facebook. You know, let them know I started my business. Here's my business license. And I wasn't expecting anyone to really call. I figured, you know, it would take me a couple years to build up the clientele. And at the time, I had projected to retire from the police department in about two years. But the phone call started coming in like really started coming in to the point to where I was panicking. I'm like, oh, heck, you know, I've done this now. Now I got, you know, what am I going to do? I actually have people calling and took some side hustles and realized quickly that I couldn't do both well. You know, I couldn't do full-time police work and be a sergeant and a full-time designer and decided, okay, not only retiring early, we're retiring very early. <laughs> and that took off and I sent my lieutenant two weeks uh, notice and the rest was history. Well, not entirely history, because she hasn't told you the whole story yet. 
she did go on to establish an interior design business in the Miami area. She did find it much more fulfilling than police work. More on that in a bit. And she did start a podcast as an important content marketing arm of her business. We're getting to that too. But before any of that, she discovered this. One of the reasons it took off so quickly is because I found out that I was really, really good at social media marketing. And that's how the other side of my business, the social media marketing and the podcast and Wingnut Social was born. I ended up, I had other interior designers coming to me saying, who's doing your social media marketing? They're doing great. Can I have the number? I'd like to hire them. And I had to tell them, well, you know, it's just me. I'm really doing it. So they started saying, well, will you do mine? And uh, after several of them started asking me, I was like, you know, there's a need for this in the industry for interior designers to find someone that can speak design and do social media marketing well for them. So I figured, hey, I have one business. Why not have two? How hard can it be? (laughs) And we started our uh, social media marketing agency. It's called Wingnut Social. What you just heard Darla describe is not just an interesting origin story. It's chock full of lessons for us about podcasting, starting a business, and a whole lot more. Notice what she found out. People who do what she does need the same things she needs. And if she could figure out a system to deliver those things to them with high quality and great results, she just found an amazing opportunity to create a business. So let's get practical. What is it that you do? What is it that you podcast about? Once you have that clearly in your mind, ask yourself this question. What are the needs I have? that are specific to my niche. Once you've identified that, ask the follow-up question. Am I able to do that thing for myself well enough that I could do it for others in my niche? If so, you might have your next stream of revenue staring you in the face. Making the transition from steady 9-to-5 job to self-supporting entrepreneur is not easy. It takes tons of work and calculated risk-taking, not to mention gutsy decisions. But for those who take a do-or-die attitude about it and stick it out, amazing things happen. Now, owning the two businesses, you know, I have my own little sales goals, I play little games, you know, if I sell this a week, if I sell that a week, and you know, I can buy this car or I can buy, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting. I, I wake up in the morning excited, ready to do my job. And it's just, it's just so much more fun to have control of that aspect. It's, it is scary. You know, I have to keep clients in the pipeline on both sides, but it's just, it's more, way more fulfilling and a lot more, I don't, it's a lot more exciting. I feel way more in control than I used to. And I'm 10 times happier. And there's a lot to be said for, you know, having that steady paycheck coming in, but there's also a lot to be said for daring, you know, to be great. And I've already made peace with myself that even if this ends up failing in some way, I'll have no regrets because I'll always know that I tried and I can get a job, you know, anywhere, you know, and get a check after this. But so far, thank God, everything's going really well. We've, we've been very successful. I have to admit that at this point in the conversation, I got a little bit selfish. 
I mean, talking to someone who's been so successful with social media marketing, I couldn't help but ask Darla for some pointers. And she didn't disappoint. But before we get to her actionable tips about social media, pay attention to this next part where she talks about what it took for her to get to that level of success. Even though we started out on Facebook, I really grabbed hold of Instagram. And I think in the first six months, I managed to get 7,000 followers on my Darla Powell Interiors Instagram page. Just getting in there and commenting and engaging and being part of the community and posting regularly, I, it took a lot of work. I was on my phone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it seemed. And once we started getting clients from all the social media marketing on the design side, I got really busy, like so busy to the point to where I was finding I didn't have time to do my own social media marketing anymore. So I said, well, okay, let me see if I can hire an agency to do my social media for the design company. So we did. We hired someone and it ended up they were terrible. They didn't understand the vernacular or the design aesthetic or how, you know, how to compose a post for our industry. And that coupled with uh, the other designers coming to me, asking me, you know, who's doing my social media before, you know, the bad company took it over, made me really see, man, there's a need for this. And I have so much credibility as an interior designer to address these deficiencies, you know, with other agencies to market for interior designers. And it's just, it's taken off. We've signed so many clients. And what made me good at it was, I think mostly is that I was, I was tenacious, you know, prolific, <laughs> like to a fault, because a lot of designers will say, they'll throw up a few posts and they'll say, well, it didn't work. You know, I tried. Yeah, I didn't get any clients, you know, and I, I don't know. I've just been very knowledgeable about it. I studied, you know, anything I could get my hands on, listen to podcasts, you know, hashtag strategies, you know, how often to post, what times to post. And I've, I've gotten it down to a science. And now we're so busy on that side, the social media side that I have two full-time staff members and two part-time staff members handling all that for me with master's degrees in marketing. So they've elevated it way more than I could. I always believe in hiring people smarter than me, which isn't that hard to do, but <laughs> so, so they can take it and run with it and make it even better than I could. Please, please, please don't let what Darla just shared run through your easy filter, because there is nothing easy about what she did. Let me reframe it by replaying the section where she described the effort she put into being good. I, I don't know. I've just been very knowledgeable about it. I studied, you know, anything I could get my hands on, listen to podcasts, you know, hashtag strategies, you know, how often to post, what times to post, and I've, I've gotten it down to a science. If you are going to be truly good at something, social media marketing, interior design, PR, podcasting, you're going to have to dedicate yourself. That means dedicating your time, your energy, your best brain power, your interests, your resources, everything you can throw at it in order to become truly great. It doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't come easy. I wanna take a break to give your brain a little bit of time to breathe. I'll be right back with Darla's social media tips. Narratively. You know, this narrative style of podcast production, like you're hearing on this episode, is fairly new to me. After I produced the first episode, 
featuring Nick Loper. I ran my work by some friends of mine who produce audio as well, people I respect. And many of them came back with a similar and funny response. They said, I don't want any part of that. Their response comes from the recognition that this type of production can be very difficult to do. So I thought it would be fun to pull back the curtain to explain a little bit of what's involved in producing a narrative interview episode like this. It really starts with the why, the goal. Why do you want to do a type of episode that takes a lot more time because it's much more difficult to produce? For me, the first reason is that I had a desire to highlight the stories of great people. Some of these are clients of mine, like Nick and Darla, but others are not clients of mine. They're just everyday people like you and me who have experienced a huge benefit in their lives, their businesses, and their overall happiness because of podcasting. My second reason is that I wanted to figure out a way I could better serve clients in light of the rapid increase of podcasting as a whole. What I mean is this, I can see what's coming. The days are quickly approaching when the typical, I ask a question and you give an answer, style of podcast interview show is likely not going to be enough to grow an audience and keep their attention. There is just too much fun stuff out there to listen to, from true crime podcasts to highly produced audio dramas. I believe that no matter the niche or industry, it will be the engaging, entertaining shows, the ones that are really enjoyable, that will get attention and spread by word of mouth. And by default, producing that kind of show is going to require an increased level of production. So, inspired by what I heard on podcasts like Masters of Scale, Freakonomics Radio, and How I Built This, all which are great shows you'll probably enjoy, by the way, I got to work. Those are my why, my reasons for creating these narrative interview episodes. But there could be many other motivations for doing this kind of thing. Financial, business-related reasons, a desire to elevate your industry and your expertise in it, building a fan base or improving your audience retention and loyalty, or simply a desire to serve your audience with a greater degree of excellence. If you are a podcaster or are considering becoming one, I encourage you to think about what's ahead for podcasting as a whole and consider whether you need to up your game when it comes to the type of content you're producing for your audience. Think about how you can deliver incredibly helpful content in a manner that sets you apart from all the other blah, blah, blah out there. Keep in mind that you're not just competing with podcasts within your niche. You're competing with the entirety of people and organizations who are producing audio content. In the next podcaster story mid-roll section, I'm going to explain how I decide on the stories I feature, how I set up and stage those conversations, and then tiptoe just a little bit into how I come up with a story arc based on the conversation. Okay, now we can get back to those social media tips I promised you from Darla. 
positively. So social media is really the first step of your funnel. A funnel, or sales funnel, is how marketers often describe the steps customers go through on the way to making a purchase. The first, and easiest step is often referred to as the top of the funnel. Right, you really want clients coming to either pick up the phone or going to your website to pick up the phone. So what you're doing is you're generating interest in you, your company, your brand, your services. And this is one of the accidents that I had too, is when I became an interior designer, I had friends telling me, oh, now you gotta be stuck up, you gotta be hoity-toity, you know. This <laughs> is a true story. And I gave it a, a minute of thought. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're right. And then I was like, you know what? No, I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to be Darla Powell. And that authenticity and my personality translated to the videos I was doing on social media. Clients saw that. They felt like they knew me. They felt comfortable with me. They went to the website. They looked at my services. They looked at my design consultations. They either emailed me, picked up the phone, booked, became clients. <laughs> and I cannot tell you how many clients we get from, especially from Instagram, that have said, you know, I saw your video on Instagram. I just love the way you comported yourself. You looked fun. You're a professional. You know, I just really felt comfortable with you like I knew you. And we just did that in the beginning by accident, really. And that's something that I advise all my clients to do. Don't be afraid to be yourself. You know, don't cross boundaries. Be professional. But if you're like me and that includes a, a little wingnut edge, you want your ideal client to be able to jive with you, you're going to have so much better of a time with your clients and that working relationship. And I'm telling you, that's, that's exactly what happened. We get clients that become friends. It's, it's just been a game changer. And while Darla has been talking about her approach to social media from an interior designer perspective, I've found the same is true with podcasting. Be yourself. Don't try to sound like another podcaster. Don't put on some kind of fake radio voice. Don't think that you've got to do things the way everybody else does. Just be yourself. A lot of designers or a lot of people in general are afraid to do that thinking, well, I have to speak to everybody. You know, if I say this or if I have this kind of sense of humor, I'm going to turn off this percentage of the population or followers. And that's a fear people have. I was just talking to a designer yesterday. And she says, oh, I'm so afraid. I'm one way on my social media, but when they meet me in person, I'm totally different because I'm afraid I'm going to repel clients. And they're shocked when I tell them that's a good thing. <laughs> you know, because you are really niching in to that person who gets you. You know, you want to have that experience. You want it to be 100% fun and positive and good reviews because they're going to get their ideal client. It's magical the way it works. So that was a lot of great commentary to say two simple things about social media and business in general. Be prolific and be yourself. That is all really great and really helpful stuff, Darla. Thanks so much for sharing it. But I'm eager to get on to your podcaster story. Shall we begin? Where did podcasting come into the picture for Darla? Let's begin now. Okay, well, this is one thing I forgot to tell you about when I was a kid. I used to, I was the kid that didn't listen to music, but listened to talk radio. 
<laughs> I'm like a huge nerd. I'm a huge dork and a huge nerd. And I used to listen to, to AM, not even FM, AM talk radio as a kid. And I've always been fascinated with broadcasting. And when podcasts came around, I was one of the first adopters, you know, listening to podcasts, you know, iTunes, the whole works. And it's always been like a little dream of mine to do a podcast. And one of the people that influenced me to become an interior designer was a podcaster by the name of Luann Nigara. And I was listening to her podcast called A Well-Designed Business. And it's about business tips for interior designers, new interior designers, you know, how how, you know, what you're going to do if you start a design business, experts on the show. And I was thinking, man, I could do this. You know, not then, but a couple years later, we should start a podcast for Wingnut Social on, you know, marketing tips. Um, we've been going since August already. Which means not quite a year as of this recording. Not even a year. No, not yet. So we have a little bit of longevity, you know, in the podcast industry. You know how the podcast fade happens. It's not happened to us yet. This is not a drill. Repeat, this is not a drill. Natalie is my partner in Wingnut Social. Natalie and I have gotten speaking gigs at a large furniture markets and events. And that's actually one of the things that Wingnut Social Podcast is for. Is that all you got? Let's begin. It's to establish ourselves as industry experts. And it's not really a salesy podcast, although every now and then we'll mention, hey, you know, we do this, that, and the other thing. But it's really just to develop that know, like, and trust. You know, plus it's fun. I enjoy it. It's, it's actually the most fun thing that I do out of everything, out of the design, out of the marketing. I, I really enjoy the podcast. Oh, show. So in light of all the benefits Darla has described that have come from podcasting, what is it about podcasting that enables those kinds of things to happen? Here's what she had to say about it. When people hear your podcast and you're in their ear all the time, that's kind of an intimate situation. And they feel like they're friends with you, like they really know you. And if you deliver the goods, and that is by giving content and you know design advice or marketing advice, and they use it. You give them some actionable information with each episode or, you know, however often you publish, then they trust you. And then you're top of mind, you're top of mind. And maybe a year from now, or maybe six months from now, or maybe tomorrow, hey, I need, need someone to help me market my business. Oh, yeah. Darla over at Wingnut Social. You know, she has all these great tips. She's really smart. I enjoy her podcast. They pick up the phone and call. We've been crazy busy. We have Two full-time employees on the wingnet side, two part-time employees. We can barely keep up. I've seen it happen that way over and over for clients. It's how content marketing, which Darla's brand of podcasting is, actually works. It's a long play that brings benefits over time. So don't get discouraged if your download numbers aren't growing like you'd hoped. Just keep publishing great content and making people aware of it, and you'll see the benefits in time. And sometimes. Those benefits are things you never expected. Well, we were actually picked up, and I didn't try it. We were actually in Architectural Digest. I think it was the interior designers picked their 12 favorite podcasts or 12 best podcasts. We were one of them. We've been in uh, Designers Today, which is a B2B design industry trade magazine, Business of Home, a couple of times. Part of that is through the marketing that we 
teach, <laughs> you know, the networking and the techniques we use for social media marketing that's gotten our foot in the door there, even though we didn't proactively go after any of those magazines. But all of that publicity has really been as a result of the success of the podcast and the reception that we've had for it. Once things start happening on that level, the people in your industry start to look at you as an authority or an expert at what you do. Think about it. Don't you look at the people that you listen to on podcasts or see in magazines in your industry as experts? That's a massive benefit and a huge responsibility. I asked Darla what it's worth to have that kind of authority. I think it's, oh gosh, um, I think it's priceless. <laughs> First of all, even if it didn't, if not one client came through, I just enjoy doing the podcast so much that for me, it's priceless. It's just so much fun. But, you know, you maybe ask me in a year and I'll tell you how many clients we've gotten from. <laughs> I don't have any numbers in front of me, but it's a lot. Because if you think about, first of all, you know, the magazine exposure brought in clients. We have clients calling from that and getting that visibility on the design side by getting asked to speak at events at High Point Market. And that's, I, I don't have a dollar amount for you, but in my mind, priceless. Now having the podcast, that's really what has made like the magazines really focus in and made us so unique because not only do I have this industry for social media marketing, I'm also a relatively decent interior designer. <laughs> you know, okay, we have pretty good portfolio work. So it's it, the visibility has been crazy. And, you know, we have two Instagram channels and we do video on both. So it's just, we're really just hitting it from all angles. And I have to tell you, I'm pretty exhausted. <laughs> But for a person like Darla, the level of success she's already attained isn't all she's got in her sights for herself or her podcast. I would love to uh, be able to do a show for HGTV. And on the Wingnut Social side, I'd like to build up the business so it's just so crazy successful that in 10 years when I'm 61, I could sell it and retire. <laughs> so let's think through what Darla has just described in the last 10 minutes or so. She started her podcast seven months ago at the time of this recording. And as a result, she has number one built a social media promotional business for fellow interior designers. Number two has brought in many clients on both the social media and interior design sides of her business. So much so, she's had to hire help. Number three, she's been invited to speak at industry events. Number four. She's been featured in industry magazines. Number five. She has been able to meet highly positioned people in her industry. That reminds me of something Nick Loper said in the first podcaster story that I featured. It's incredible the, the reach from a $50 mic in your living room. It's, it's an amazing, amazing broadcast medium. It's really been uh, life-changing for me. If you are interested in hearing Nick's entire podcaster story, you can find a link to it in the description of this episode. Or if you're already subscribed, just scroll backward in the feed. It's number 124. I love stories like Darla's, and I get to hear them from clients all the time. I love them because they demonstrate what anyone with a willingness to work, to create great content, and to remain flexible can accomplish through a podcast. For Darla, the benefits came to the surface a bit more quickly than most, 
but with persistence and smarts, anyone who desires to create a podcast to serve an audience can do comparable things. So let's wrap up with Darla's advice to those just starting out in the podcastosphere. Uh, the first thing I would say is just to make sure that you do your research and get halfway decent audio equipment. <laughs> I think that's really important. And the next thing I would say is to make sure you get really good editors. <laughs> Because it makes a huge difference. I'm telling you, if I had to do this all by myself, it would not be nearly as good as it is. Our editor that you know works for Podcast Fast Track, Jonathan, he does such a good job at making us look smart. So I would definitely say <laughs> invest in a good editor and make sure that your show at the end you know, has some kind of production value. Jonathan is a superstar, and I'm honored to have him on my team. And in case you didn't know, He's also a superstar podcaster himself. You can find his show for kids called The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian at fincaspian.com. That's F-I-N-N-C-A-S-P-I-A-N.com. Okay, let's get back to Darla's advice. If you can record on separate tracks for your guests, that's great because this goes back to the editing too in case you're talking over each other. Your tracks can be separated so it doesn't sound like just one big noise ball in there. And it just just makes it just sound so much more professional and it's so much more fun to listen to. I can't tell you how many podcasts I've said, oh, let me check out this podcast. And the subject matter was great, but it was unlistenable because, you know, everybody's talking over each other or there is so much, you know, just not edited or it was just, I'm a kind of a snob that way maybe. But <laughs> I, if I'm listening to a podcast, it has to have some, you know, quick flow, some smooth editing, but to the point where you can't really tell it's edited. You know what I mean? It sounds just natural. And also one more thing. There's three things I have. Don't sit around and think, oh, I have to wait until, you know, this is perfect or I have to wait until that is perfect. Just start because I guarantee you my first 10 episodes were rough. <laughs> you know, they get better as you go. Just get them out there. Start doing it. You know, build your audience. Don't wait. You know, get out there and just do it. So, my friends, that is Darla's podcaster story. From high school graduate who didn't know what she was going to do, to police sergeant, to successful interior designer, owner of her own business, well, two businesses, and emerging influencer in her industry. It's a story with its own particular twists and turns and its own setbacks and opportunities, just like yours. It's a story that shows what happens when a person has the determination to work hard, learn, and grow, just like yours. It's a story of amazing results from publishing great content for a specific audience over time, just like yours could be. What lessons can you learn from Darla's story? What questions would you ask her? You can find out more about Darla's social media services for interior designers and her podcast, Wingnut Social, at wingnutsocial.com. And if you're looking for an interior designer with a wingnut edge, you can see her portfolio and other great stuff at darlapowell.com. I particularly like the Miami home office with a twist. Check it out. You'll have to admit, that's a pretty cool chrome riveted chair. 99% of the music used in this episode comes from an amazing guy named Jason Shaw over at audionautics.com. 
but there are two exceptions to that. The first is the fife and drum piece underneath that great Benjamin Franklin voiceover, and the other is the tune you're listening to right now. It's called Shaving Mirror, and both are by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0. The deep and resonant tones of that Benjamin Franklin voiceover were voiced by the amazing Brandon Sheck Snyder. And finally, Nick Loper, who I mentioned briefly, can be found at SideHustleNation.com. Narratively.